Jesus once had a conversation with a Samaritan woman at a local watering well. As quickly as he could, he turned the conversation from water to worship. The hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. What did he mean by this? From the beginning, God has always desired to dwell with his people. For a very long time, God chose to dwell in a tabernacle and then a temple, inviting his people under certain conditions to meet with him there. But the hour has come when believers are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. That means worship can and should happen anywhere and at any time. You, in fact, are a traveling worship facility. I'm Ron Jones, and this is something good. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian. Thanks so much for tuning in. Well, there are all sorts of worshipers in scripture. There are ruined worshipers, content worshipers, reluctant worshipers. But for the next couple of days, Ron will be talking about genuine worshipers. The place to start is in John chapter four with a conversation between Jesus and the woman at the well. Stay right here or visit somethinggoodradio.org to listen to the broadcast on demand on your schedule. You can subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get yours. And now from his teaching series, True Worship, here's Ron with today's Something Good Radio message, The True Worshiper. All right, good morning, everybody. Let's take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 4 beginning in verse 19, the woman said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I've titled this morning's message, The True Worshipers. Well, this is week two of a brand new series we started last week titled True Worshippers. And last week we started at the base of Mount Sinai, if you remember, where Moses brought down the Ten Commandments. We didn't look at all Ten Commandments. We looked at the first two commandments, the first two commandments of worship we called them. And by way of reminder, we learned that uh, first we must worship God exclusively, right? No other gods before me, the Lord said. And secondly, we're to worship God in response to Uh, His revelation of Himself, not in response to how we imagine Him to be, thus the command, uh, no carved images. Um, Where we're going from this point forward is to um, look at various kind of stories and vignettes of different kinds of worshipers in in the Scriptures. We're going to look at the transformed worshiper found in Romans chapter 12. Uh, Then we'll go to Isaiah chapter 6 in a week or two. 
and talk about the ruined worshiper. Isaiah was caught up into that heavenly worship experience in Isaiah 6 where he heard the angels say, holy, 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 and, and he says, woe is me for I am ruined, I am undone. And then we're going to go to Proverbs chapter 30, and I'm going to introduce you to a guy that's a little-known character in Scripture named Agur. And you've probably heard of the prayer of Jabez, but have you ever heard of the prayer of Agur? He's a content worshiper. He prays, Lord, give me neither poverty nor wealth. He's just a content kind of guy as he worships the Lord even in his giving. But today I want to talk about the true worshiper. You really can't approach the subject of worship in Scripture without landing in John chapter 4. It contains um, a familiar story to many of us, to those who are uh, familiar with the Scriptures, but it also contains one of the most significant conversations Jesus had about the subject of worship. What makes it familiar is that story where Jesus uh, finds himself in Samaria, and he's having a conversation with a woman around a, a watering well. We call her the, uh, the, the, the Samaritan woman. And that conversation, although it doesn't start in the place of worship, it ends up there. And Jesus talks about what it means to be a true worshiper. Let me give you the big idea of uh, this message this morning, and that's this, that God is seeking. He is seeking after true worshipers in the least likely places and from the least worthy people. Let me say that again. God is seeking after true worshipers in the least likely places and from the least worthy people. And that should be an encouragement to every one of us here. You may find yourself in the least likely place, and uh, you may consider yourself to be the least worthy person to be in the presence of God worshiping Him. Let me give you an, an overview of John chapter 4, um, kind of a 30,000-foot overview. One of the things I find fascinating about this section of Scripture is that when Jesus wanted to teach His disciples and us about worship, He went to Samaria, not Jerusalem. Uh, he went to a common community watering well, not the temple. He had a conversation with an unrighteous, adulterous woman, not a priest. And what this tells us is that true worship touches, well, it touches everyday life. And it reminds us that God is seeking after true worshipers, as I said, in the least likely places and from the least worthy people. The 30,000-foot overview of, Roman, of uh, John chapter 4, rather, um, begins in controversy. Uh, verses uh, 1 to 6 introduces us to a controversy that leads Jesus to depart from Judea. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, then, then it moves into a conversation between Jesus and this Samaritan woman, and then it ends up on a high note with, with her personal faith conversion, which is a great story in and of itself. But let's begin in, in, in the first six verses here where the Bible tells us that when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus Himself did not baptize but only His disciples, He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and He had to pass through Samaria. Now this controversy arose, and it was sort of ginned up by the Pharisees themselves who were never friends of Jesus. And they put the baptism of John against the baptism of Jesus, and Jesus caught wind of this, and it says um, 
It says that he, he left Judea. Uh, the force of the word left in the original language suggests he hightailed it out of there. He had no patience and no time for trivial tiffs between high-browed religious people. And he wasn't about to let the Pharisees drag him into some controversy about John's baptism versus his baptism. He was out of there. He said, I got, I got other things to do than to get into your little tiff here. And the Bible says that he, he headed out toward Galilee. Now, to get from Judea to Galilee, the shortest route was through Samaria. Today, we know it as the West Bank. You turn into the international news, and you often hear news about Israel and the West Bank. That was the region of Samaria. And Jesus is about to do what nobody else, <laughs> no other Jew was willing to do at that time, and that was to travel through Samaria because the religious and racial tensions between the Jews and the Samaritans were, were huge. Think of the tensions today be, between Shiite Muslims and Sunni Muslims, and you have some sense of the political and religious and ethnic tensions that were between the Jews and the Samaritans. Or think back between the Catholics and the Protestants in Ireland years ago and the wars that broke out there, or even the racial tensions that have existed in our uh, country from uh, the, the founding of our country. Uh, the Jews despised the Samaritans, and the Samaritans despised the Jews. And Jews, if they had to go from here to there, and the most direct route was through Samaria, they'd say, no, that's all right. I'll add days and miles and hours to my journey, and I'll go around Samaria before I'd ever step foot in that place, let alone have a conversation with somebody like that. Uh, well, Jesus wasn't about to get involved in some religious squabble that the Pharisees had, had ginned up, and, and he's, he's, he's not going to give any credence to the political, religious, and ethnic tensions either. He goes straight through Samaria. Still ahead, the second half of Dr. Ron Jones' Something Good Radio message, The True Worshiper. Need prayer today? Visit somethinggoodradio.org to share your request, and our ministry team will be happy to join you in prayer. Use the Explore option right at the top of the homepage, and then scroll down to the How Can We Pray For You icon. While you're there, select the Library tab to find a host of great resources at our online store. Again, that web address is somethinggoodradio.org. It's one of the greatest conversations in all of Scripture, and it comes your way next in the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, The True Worshiper. Once again, here's Dr. Ron Jones. And the Bible tells us that about the sixth hour, according to the Jewish time clock, that was noontime, uh, the route from Judea to Galilee through Samaria was 70 miles, two and a half days on foot. And when he arrived at the town of Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Jacob's well was there. There was a community watering well. And in his humanity, he was, he was thirsty, and he wanted a drink of water. Verse 7 says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water at the same time. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Uh, John adds this parenthetically, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. I love that, <laughs> you know. 
uh, paved the way for Jesus to have this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Because the disciples might have been a little bit nervous about traveling through Samaria. Maybe they had given him some feedback on that. They go off to buy some food, and Jesus takes the opportunity to have this conversation. Verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Uh, there, there was sort of a, a double-barrel shotgun of, of uh, ethnic and gender and political and religious tension here. Not only would the Jews not talk to a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman? Are you kidding me? No Jewish man in that culture would lower himself to such a thing except Jesus. Because just by having the conversation with her, Jesus elevates the status of women, not just Samaritan women, but all women. And make no mistake about it, friends, anywhere Christianity has traveled, down through the generations and centuries, it has always elevated the status of women, and Jesus models it right here. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Now, Jesus knows where He wants to go with the conversation, but He's starting where the woman is, and He wants her to understand, you know, somebody special is standing in your presence. I'm willing to talk to you. I'm willing to, to come to your territory and to have this conversation with you. And, and I have a special gift that I want to give to you. Verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You know, she's very much on a physical level, and Jesus is trying to take the conversation to a spiritual level. But her spiritual senses are dull. She doesn't get it. Uh, it takes a while for her to get there. Verse 12, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Uh, this was a common watering well called the well of Jacob. And people would come there not only to get some water, but to have some conversation in the community, uh, maybe even to have that conversation go in the direction of the covenant promises of God. This was Jacob's well. There's a lot of history and all of that there. Jesus said to her, verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him, listen to this, a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see how he's just lifting the conversation to a whole new level. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and they're just not on the same spiritual frequency as you are? It's probably an indication that their spirit is dead. Her spiritual senses are dull. More than that, her spirit, that which was created to have a relationship with God, is dead. She doesn't get it. She's not there. Uh, she, she's not tuning into his frequency. Verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Again, she, she's on a very... A physical kind of level. And Jesus is still trying to break through. He's trying to take the conversation to a new level and to get to the heart of the matter. And so he changes course here in the conversation. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. 
And the woman answered him, I have no husband. (laughs) Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, the quickest way into a person's heart is through that which causes them the most pain in their life. You'll get to the heart of the matter if you touch on some, somebody's pain, if you go through the pain portal. He couldn't get her to the level of conversation he wanted, so he shifts gears and he starts talking about the string of failed relationships in her life. He says, go grab your husband, knowing full well she was living with a man in an adulterous relationship. And not only that, but she had blown through five husbands before that. You've heard of the Good Samaritan, the parable of the Good Samaritan? This was the bad Samaritan. This woman had broken the commandments of God, one failed relationship after another. Now Jesus has her attention. Everything gets quiet in the conversation until she breaks the silence and says, And this is the understatement of the year. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Really? You think so? And then she does what all of us do when the conversation gets a little too close to that that pain in our lives. She deflects. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus just brought up the brokenness in her life, these broken, failed relationships, and she wants to talk about worship? And she's bringing up this age-old conversation and controversy between Samaritans and Jews about the place, the proper place of worship. And she says, we Samaritans, we've worshiped on this mountain, probably a reference to Mount Gerizim, in the northern regions up there near Galilee. This takes us back to a time when Jeroboam was overseeing the northern kingdom. And Jeroboam was a wicked leader, a wicked king in the Old Testament. And and he he made it possible for the uh, Jewish people and the Samaritans, that is the Jews who who, uh, married into foreigners and into foreign families, they became half-breeds, as the pure Jews would call them, made it possible for them and more convenient for them to worship here. Don't go down to Jerusalem, Jeroboam said. That's too long of a journey. And that temple isn't all that spectacular anyway. So Jeroboam built this other place of worship up in the northern area. Some of you who travel to uh, uh, Israel with us, Tel Dan is part of that area. And And it devolved into a place of of syncretized worship, of of Jewish Judaism, and the paganism of, you know, the northern area up there. She says, it was an age-old argument. We worship on this mountain, you worship in Jerusalem. But she's deflecting. She's completely deflecting the conversation here. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain, verse 21, nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and is now here 
when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. I'm struck by how Jesus so quickly left the subject of her five previous husbands and the man with whom she was currently living. He never comes back to the subject of her adultery because now he's in her heart. He uses the pain to go deeper and to talk about what he really wanted to talk about, and that was true worship, even though she was the one who brought it up in the first place. But in effect, what Jesus says to her is this, where you worship isn't nearly as important as how and whom you worship. Let me say that again. Where you worship is not nearly as important as how and whom. Now, before I explain a little bit further, let me just say this. It is important that we come to a place of worship like this. Uh, The Bible tells us in Hebrews, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but encourage one another. Encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. It is important for the body of Christ, the church, to come together in corporate worship. But true worship is not about a place as much as it is a person. What's the most important factor in your worship life? As Dr. Ron Jones said today, where you worship is far less important than how and whom you worship. You're listening to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Today's message, The True Worshipper, is part of Ron's series, True Worship. You'll find the entire series available for streaming on demand in the Something Good digital library at somethinggoodradio.org. That's True Worship, a teaching series from Dr. Ron Jones that explores what true biblical worship is all about. Have you ever wanted to visit the land of the Bible and walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Join Dr. Ron and Catherine Jones and the Something Good Radio team for a thrilling Israel tour happening in January 2022. Experience a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. Walk down the Via Dolorosa. Visit Gethsemane where Jesus prayed and Calvary where he shed his blood for you. Step inside the empty tomb and see for yourself that your Savior is risen indeed. Is the Holy Land on your bucket list? Experience Israel 2022. Register at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. All of us here at Something Good Radio hope you can join us on our upcoming trip to the Holy Land. To make a reservation or for more information, look for Something Good Travel when you visit somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good Radio exists only because of the faithful prayer and financial support from friends and listeners like you. That's how Ron takes the good news to a world in which bad news is all too common. When you give a gift this month, Ron will say thank you by giving you the audio download of the teaching series you're hearing now, True Worship. That's True Worship. Request your download of all five messages in the series today when you make a gift to Something Good Radio. Give online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. 
Now, how we worship God is just as important, if not more important, as where. Because Jesus says to her pointedly, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. A lot of us have heard that before, but we're not exactly sure what it means. What do I do do with that? It's kind of out of our reach. John Piper provides, I think, a good interpretation. He says, worship must have heart and worship must have head. I like that. Worship must engage your emotions and worship must engage your thoughts, both at the same time. That's tomorrow in part two of Dr. Ron Jones' message, The True Worshiper. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and all of us here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening.